Father, we love you. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the, the joy in this place and uh, the community that we have together. Um, thank you for the, uh, the honor it is to, to serve these people. And thank you for the, um, the encouragement that these people are to each other, to myself, to, uh, to the world around us. I ask that you would uh, mold us and shape us, shape us this morning, change us a little bit more, open our eyes to ourselves, open our eyes to the world around us, um, help us to become more like you uh, in these times together. Allow me to speak clearly and communicate clearly. Um, allow me to remember the things I've, I've studied and, uh, and give us all insight. Thank you, Lord. In your name. Amen. All right, so... Verse 1 here starts off like this. We read this last week, and we focus on the word heresy. We're going to focus on sort of some other aspects here. Uh, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So one of the first things that he says is um, there always have been false prophets, people that have risen up and taught stuff that is not in line with who God is. Um, and there always will be people rising up and teaching things that are, that are, that are not in line with who God is. Um, and they're just always going to be here. And so one of the things you kind of need to do, and if you read any commentary on any idea of false prophets, um, all the commentators always say, all the scholars, all the theologians always say, um, to have a full, a full rich grasp of the idea of false prophets, you kind of need to go back to the Old Testament, and you need to look at who they were, what they did, and you compare them with the New Testament, and it's the same thing. The false prophets in the Old Testament were teaching the same things that the false prophets in the early church were teaching, which is the same things that the false prophets today are teaching. Um, and so we're going to try to locate some of these things uh, this morning. And um, so there's really a few different things that, that the false prophets kind of do. They always follow the same old patterns, and those patterns are very kind of specific. Um, and they zero in on certain things. And so let's look at verse 2 here. It says, uh, we'll, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Denying the master who bought them. So one of the things that the false prophets have always done is denied the master, God, denied um, their Lord. Um, if you look back over the Old Testament, there is, there is a passage uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 13. It's a fascinating passage. Um, I'm kind of going to go at it backwards here, this whole chapter, um, because um, it helps us sort of understand. So he starts off in verse 12 of, of Deuteronomy 13. It says, it says, if you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, it's sort of like, by the way, um, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go to serve other gods, which you have not known. It says, it says okay, there, there will come times when then it calls them worthless fellows. It just basically means people not of worth, people not high up, just common people, your level. And they're going to come up to you, and they're going to say, hey, let us go over here and serve these gods and worship these gods. He says, so that, that's going to happen. And then, and then if you go back to verse, verse 6, it says, if your brother... The son of your mother or, it, or your son or your daughter or the wife you embrace or your friend who as, is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other. He said, so sometimes there actually will be members of your family, maybe your spouse, maybe anyone, people very, very close to you who you respect and you are connected with. 
if they rise up and they say, hey, let us go over here and serve these other gods and, and, and think these other things and go this other way, he says, that, that, that's probably going to happen at some point. And, th- and then if you go back to the beginning of the cha- chapter, it says in verse 1 through 5, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to their words. So the whole idea here is people are going to entice you away to other things other than God. And when they do, it could be just a person you know. It could be a family member. It could be uh, someone claiming to speak for God who is very incredibly impressive in the things that they can do. And they're just wowing you. And then they say, oh, by the way, God wants you to do this. And it has to do with something that is not God. He said, don't listen to him. Now, I don't imagine a lot of us have a problem today. Like, I imagine if someone came up to you today and said, hey, what do you say we go offer some sacrifices to Moloch? What do you say? And you're like, no, I'm not going to. That wouldn't be a hard decision to make. Um, it'd be easy to just say, nah, I'm good. I'm getting barbecue. Um, if, if someone were to come up and say, hey, um, you want to go, there's a statue. Want to go, like, bow down before it for a while? No, I'm good. I'm good. I was just taking a nap. Um, and I imagine that's not hard to just say no to, um, and you would kind of hear this and you'd say, well, this, that, it's sad that God had to tell these people that. Um, that's not the same thing. What was going on here in the ancient mindset, they weren't stupid, they, weren't, they, they were relatively ignorant. We can look back and say they didn't know some of the things that we know, just like future generations will look back on us and say that we're relatively ignorant. Um, but... This wasn't about, oh, look, a statue, let's bow down and worship it. This was, this had to do with, okay, so worshiping other gods in the ancient times um, was a way of sort of, they, they believed, gaining things, which they wanted. If they, if they wanted rains or fertile lands, they would worship the god of rain, the, god of, the goddess of fertility. They would um, worship... Um, Whatever they, they wanted, whatever they were seeking, they would strive and worship the God of that thing to try and get it. It was never about devotion to these gods. It was about stuff, always. They believed that there was a God over the, the rain, the, the crops, the trees, the fruits, the waters, the river, um, the skies, the sun, all of it. And you would worship these gods in order to get what you want. So it was all centered around stuff. It was all centered around, um, hey, these people over here, they have really fertile lands, like really fertile. They have lots and lots of food. We have less food. Why don't we worship their God? And maybe we'll get what they have. These people over here are rich. They found gold in their lands and they're mining it and they're digging it up and, and they're just very, very rich. Why don't we go worship their God and then we can get more gold? This is not about worshiping God. This is about wanting something other than you have that then God has given you. The ancient worship of these idols and things was always about just covering your bases, just, just wanting a little more than you have. It was always just, well, maybe if I had this, I would be more happy. And so the ancient Israelites, I mean, God even tells them here, if you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there. So, hey, if you're living in the city, which I gave you, and you have everything you need, you have your food, you have your family, you have, you have everything that you need, and, and, and someone comes and tells you that, God has, that your God has not given you everything you need, that there's something else you need to do other than God, do not listen to them. 
That's what this is about. And so the false prophets were always doing this. If we go back to our passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And so the word denying is a very uh, kind of important word. The word denying is this word arneomai. And it, it, it basically means to disown, to disconnect from. But I think the best... Uh, thing about, about Peter using this particular word. I mean, there's other words he could have chosen. This is the exact same word that is used throughout the Gospels to describe what Peter did to Jesus. The same word. And Peter uses it. He says, I've been there. I've been led away. When Peter denied Jesus three times, why did he do that? Because he didn't fully trust that following Jesus would really give him everything he needed. He, he felt like he needed safety. He felt like he needed identity. And so when people come up to him and say, hey, aren't you with that rabbi? I, I can tell by your accent, they said, where you're from. You, you're a follower of that rabbi. And the rabbi, meanwhile, is literally within eyesight on trial. And he says, I don't know him. I've never known the guy. I've never been with the guy. The reason he's doing this is to save his identity, possibly his life. We have no idea what would happen if he had said, Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Nothing may have happened. They already had Jesus. They didn't need to kill his followers. But it says, when he said, I do not know him, it says, literally says, Jesus turned and looked at him. And so while Jesus is looking at him, and he can see Jesus looking at him, he says, I don't know this guy, so that he cannot suffer earthly pain. And so he says, it's... It's not that hard to be led astray. It's really not. Um, it's very easy. It has to do with not trusting that God has given you everything you need, that following him is actually the safest way, the best, most fulfilling way to live. The safest way for your soul and for who you are. I mean, we're all going to die. There's, there's no safe way to live. So there's that word, denying. It's the word. And, and, and then I, he, I love that he attaches um, another word. He says... He says, denying the master who bought them. The word bought is this word, um, agorazo. It means basically purchased goods. The word agora refers to a place in the city center where people would buy and sell. It's the marketplace. And so the word agorazo uh, means basically it, it, it would describe you were bought. In other words, it's like Jesus went to the marketplace and paid of himself. He saw you and chose you. And paid for you. But we know the cost was great. It was his own life. And so he says, you have been bought. You were chosen. You are his. He saw you, wanted you, bought you. But you deny him. So now, the Agora. Let's talk about the Agora. This is, this was, is uh, one of the ancient Agoras. I believe this is one's in Athens. Um, uh, and it was, it was originally, they were made, the city centers were made as a place for the political leaders to give speeches. The people would gather. They would sometimes do executions there. Sometimes they would um, talk about new laws that were being passed. There'd be a guy with a scroll. He'd be reading really loudly. Um, eventually, um, people were setting up markets, and they became the Agora. By the time of Christ, the Agora was the marketplace where you'd go, you would buy and sell goods. So anything that you wanted to buy or sell would, would pass through the Agora. And... By the time of Nero, which remember, we talked about a lot about Nero during 1 Peter. Nero was the great persecutor of Christians. He, 
um, hunted them down and killed them. Now, Nero and Domitian following him, um, those emperors were, were really bad guys. They actually ended up passing these laws. They were so oppressive to the Christians, they, they eventually passed these laws that said, if a Christian wants to buy or sell anything, if anyone wants to buy or sell anything in the marketplace, they must first go to the gate of the Agora. They would pay for, for some incense or something to be sacrificed to the local deity. And they would burn the incense on the altar. And after they had burned the incense, if they've worshipped the pagan god, they would receive a mark, either maybe on their hand, on their forehead. Um, and they would go and be able to go into the Agora and buy and sell goods. If you wouldn't worship the local gods, they would not let you buy or sell goods. And so the Christian had to make a choice. They're going into the Agora. The word is agorazo, how Jesus bought them there. It's almost like he puts this word there to say, hey, when you're going into the agora, remember you have been bought, agorazo. Do not deny the one who bought you at great cost to himself. Peter knows how easy this is. And so the false prophets one of the things that they do is they deny the master who bought them. And one of the ways that they, that they get you to do this is they feed on your flesh. We all have fears. We all have wants. We all have other things that we feel our, our life would be better if we had. If I had a little more money, if I had a better job, if I had this, if I had that. And the false prophet feeds into that. And the false prophet looks at you and says, you want that? God wants you to have that too. It's okay. And so you can turn away from God to get this. That's not a big deal. You can deny Jesus in this instance. I mean, you're going to lose your job if you don't take part in what they're doing. And the false prophet feeds into that sort of fleshly side of you that doesn't fully trust in the master. And so let's go to verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. So... Many will follow their sensuality. Um, this is in, incredibly true. If you, if you go back and look at every time the false prophets arose, you would think for all the things that God has done for his people, that it would be relatively easy to say, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to follow this guy. He's a false teacher. I'm just not going to follow this guy. But every single time a false teacher has risen up, tons of people have followed him. Tons of people. Um, in most cases... The majority of the people listened to and followed. So there's this, uh, there's this guy, Zedekiah. Hold on. <coughs> there's this guy, Zedekiah, and you can read about him. Uh, <coughs> Sorry. It was a late night. Um, this guy, Zedekiah, he was a false prophet, and uh, he, <coughs> he was living with the Israelites, and he said, he rose up one day, and he said, hey, God came to me, and God told me, that we are going to rise up and go to war with the Assyrians and we're going to push out the Assyrians. Now, so let's build some context and a plot line. Why would you go to war with the Assyrians? Um, well, the Assyrians were terrible people who had been persecuting the Israelites for a very long time, for generations, uh, killing them, oppressing them, enslaving them. Um, and so this guy rises up. And so generally, if you're an Israelite, you hate the Assyrians. You do not like them. And so when this guy rises up and says, God came to me and God told me that if we rise up and go to war with the Assyrians... We're going to push him out, and we're going to destroy him. And so there's this other guy who rises up next to him. His name is Micaiah. And Micaiah rises up, and he says, this is not true. This guy's not speaking from God. What God wants 
is for us to be at peace with these people. He wants us to love these people. He wants us to dwell among these people. He does not want us to rise up and destroy the Assyrians. So who did the people listen to? Well, of course, they wanted the Assyrians destroyed. Of course they did. They all probably had a relative that had been killed by the Assyrians, and so the first thing they wanted to do was rise up and destroy the Assyrians. And so the first time someone stands up and says, hey, God told me we're going to destroy the Assyrians, everyone jumps on board. And then the true prophet, Micaiah, rises up and says, guys, this is not what God wants. They didn't listen to him. Of course not. Because what Micaiah is saying is not what the people want to hear. So this happened actually over and over and over again. Uh, it happens again in Jeremiah. Um, there's this guy named Hananiah. And Hananiah does the same thing. These people are in exile. They're by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are oppressing them. And basically, they are slaves to the Babylonians living in their city in exile from where their, their conquered city was. Um, and so Hananiah rises up and Hananiah says, Guys, God came to me and God told me that we are going to rise up and go to war against the Babylonians, and we're going to just destroy them. And so Jeremiah goes up to this guy, Hananiah, and he says this, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made the people trust in a lie. And so the false prophets did this over and over. They rise up and they tell the people, Hey, that anger you have, it's justified, and God wants you to rise up and destroy these people. And so the false prophet is feeding into the flesh of the people. And Jeremiah says, this is not what God wants. And, and so many people are following this guy. So many people are, are, are going to hear this guy and, and getting ready for battle with this guy that Jeremiah actually writes a letter to the people of Israel. And here's what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What the people wanted to hear was, we're going to make swords and we're going to destroy these people who have caused us so much pain. What the prophet of God said was that is not what we're going to do. God, if we're in exile, it's because God put us in exile. If we're enslaved, it's because God made us enslaved to these people and he has a plan for this. And so what we are going to do is we're going to move in, we're going to settle in. We're going to get married, we're going to have kids, we're going to get jobs, we're going to work, and we are going to benefit these people who are enslaving us. We are going to work for their welfare. We're going to love them. We're going to serve them. And at the very end, it's, it's, it's perfect the way it ends. For in its welfare, for in, for in the welfare of these people, you will find your welfare. When you love them and you help them to th- flourish and thrive, you yourself will begin to flourish and thrive. What the people wanted to hear was that part of their flesh. That is what the false prophet can do. That is what the false prophet has always been good at. It's tapping into the flesh of the people. What do the people want to hear? How can I benefit from telling them exactly what they want to hear? Well, they have hate in their hearts. Well, I'm sure I could find something in scriptures that talks about God hating these people too. And then we can rise up and oppress these people. This is how the false prophets have always worked. It always has to do with, we like to put a lot of blame on the false prophet. The false prophet always arises from the people who are of the same fleshly mind it's just that one of them is gifted maybe public speaking. Or one of them is a little more bold and stands up. And so the people collectively 
sort of encourage this fleshly hatred of other people and they rise together and follow themselves. It's the blind leading the blind, as you would say. It's always the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh wants revenge. And God says, well, I I want peace and forgiveness and reconciliation and love. I want you to work for their reconciliation, for their good, for their flourishing. The, The flesh always wants riches. It always wants what other people have. The spirit says, everything that God has given me is exactly what I need. And I can be happy and I can flourish and love and worship him here and do his work here and be perfectly fulfilled with everything that I have. The flesh wants power and the spirit wants humility. The, fle- the spirit wants to lift other people up, not themselves. And so when we exercise the modes of the flesh, the false prophet gains all kinds of power over us. Let's look at the next part here in verse 2. It says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, so the word blasphemed, um, if, if, if you read some other version, maybe NIV or whatever, um, there is, there's actually more of an accurate translation. It, it basically means ill repute. It means disrepute. So if you read these different versions, you're going to get other words. And it's the same idea. It's basically taking a positive thing and making it look negative. Um, and he says, and so Peter says, this is what they're going to do. They're going to lead many, many people astray. And they're going to make the message of God seem just awful. Now, um, this for sure has happened time and time again throughout history. If you go back over history, you can see the false, false teachers using the scriptures to promote things like slavery. You can see false teachers using the things of, of God to promote uh, white supremacy, inequality, segregation, unjust business practices, genocide, suppression of religious minorities or cultural minorities, um, all kinds of things that are against the very nature of who God is and how God wants us to live here. Um, Last year, last year uh, Sam was, was talking to us and he talked about um, the Rwandan genocide. He pointed out that the vast majority of the people in Rwanda who went into the streets killing each other with machetes were in church that very morning being fed into their flesh by religious leaders that they are more important than these other people and God wants them to destroy these other people and that was all they wanted to hear. And when you're saying exactly what people want to hear, it's easy to gather a crowd and it's easy to just rile them up and to meet your objectives. And this is what the false teachers do. They tap into your flesh. But Peter says, when they do this, one of the signs is is that they will make Christianity just look the opposite of what it was supposed to be. Um, a little later in verse 12, Peter actually writes this, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, as God is working in your hearts, um, the things that God has for you to do, um, the loving things, are attractive. They, they draw people to God, to Jesus, to who he is. When you have hope, uh, Paul said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. People are going to see the hope that you have, how you are not downtrodden as the rest of the world is when things are going south. You are not upset. You are at peace with who you are and what God is doing in your life. 
And so let's go to verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Um, this is everywhere, all the time, especially now. Uh, people rising up and taking advantage of people through religion to get rich. We've seen it a lot this year. We've seen pastors raising money for all kinds of things that we all know only benefit themselves. And that the message of God is not about God. The message of God is about power and wealth and all of the things that we want. Earthly currency, not heavenly currency. Right? So, um, this is not new. This is ancient. The prophet Micah talked about how things were going in Israel. He was really upset about what he was seeing. He says this, uh, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, It is not the Lord in the midst of us. No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And next week we're going to talk about some of this stuff. Whenever it's, scriptures talk about the false prophets, it also talks about the destruction of the false prophets. And how that looks. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Um, But this is not a new thing. In the ancient times, people had no way to hear from God. They didn't have Bibles. They had no way to hear the word message of God other than through these guys who had studied it. And and the guys said, oh, yeah, but guess what? That's going to cost you a lot of money. So if you give me a couple days' wages, I'll teach you what, what God wants you to know. Completely take advantage of people who have no access to the things of God at all. Anything that they can do to take advantage and take money from people. They were doing. Um, this, takes, this takes like um, sort of, uh, we, we call it today, we, we call it prosperity gospel. The pastor gets up and he says, oh, God wants you to be wealthy. Do you want to be wealthy? Yes. Well, surprise, surprise, God wants that too. And all you have to do is plant what they call maybe seed money. You're going to give me a little bit of seed money. It's going to grow for you. It's not for me. It's for you. And you're going to get very, very wealthy because you're, you're serving God. And, and then they say, God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be... And, and so if you have sin in your life, um, you're going to be unhealthy, which means if you, if you have cancer or whatever, um, you're just, you're, it's because you have sin in your life. And so you need to repent and you need to give a bunch of money and then God will take away your cancer. And if you mortgage your house and give it to the church, God's going to pay off your house like that and you won't even have to worry about it. And, and we do this and we take advantage. And it usually happens in the poorest of neighborhoods, the most uneducated of neighborhoods. They go in and they take advantage of the people there and take everything from them and abandon them and leave them broke. And I've talked to tons of people who have lost everything to these kinds of people who make the message of God about things in this world. That somehow if you have enough things, you'll be satisfied. And this is what they teach. That somehow the satisfaction that God offers, the love and, and, and the peace and the purpose and, and serving God's kingdom isn't satisfying enough, so we, also, we need money. Because rich people are always happy, right? 1 Timothy 6.5 says, People who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So this is the New Testament church. People are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Well, that God wants me to be rich. No. The, the apostles were broke and poor, and they, they, they became sick. And I'm not saying that poverty is holy and riches are unholy. It's an inanimate object. It's neither. It's like a brick. 
You can build a house or you can smash a window with it. It's just a thing that you, it is here for you to use for the kingdom of God. Okay, it has, it has nothing to do with how holy you are. Nothing. Look at Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 3. Oh, and, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So the word greed is this word, uh, pleonexia. It's a great word. It means to, it's William Barclay's definition. I, I love it. He says, it's the desire to possess that which we have no right to desire and even less to take. And so it's, what this is, is this, is this discontentment in your heart. And somehow I need that. Somehow that will fulfill me. And this also is not new. There is a reason that in, in 1 Timothy, the qualifications for leaders in the church uh, is this. Therefore, an overseer must, not, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The reason he shouldn't be these things is not because these are sin. It's because you can't adequately teach the gospel if, if you are this kind of person. A quarrelsome person can't adequately teach, the th- adequately teach the things of Christ because the things of Christ are about reconciliation and humbling yourself. And so if you are a fighter, if you're always picking fights and arguments with people, you, can't, you, you don't understand the gospel. If you are a lover of money, if you're a greedy person, pleonexia, as, as Peter, Peter puts it, um, if that is you, if you're always desiring things which are not yours and you have no right to take from other people, but you always just want them, you can't adequately communicate the gospel because there is something in you that the gospel has not touched and it has to do with your contentment. Guys, the, the best protection from the false prophet is an understanding of the gospel fully implemented in your life and contentment. If you are a person that is content with, if you, if you look, at, if you look at, at your life and you say, everything I have is a blessing from God, the fact that I'm alive and I woke up this morning and I am breathing, I am thankful for and I have to thank to God this morning for it, uh, everything that I have is a blessing and the things that I do not have obviously are not necessary for me to be what God wants me to be. If I needed them to be happy or satisfied, God would have given them to me. I don't have them. And I am content with what I have. And if that is you, you are far more secure from the teachings of the false teachers than you realize. But if you are the kind of person that is always looking out and saying, yeah, God says this, but if, if I ignore the teachings of Jesus and I kind of just go over here, I can have God and this, you're in danger. If, if you are always just wanting, you're never satisfied with what you have. A person who is not satisfied with only having a little money and they're just unhappy, they will be, when they get lots of money, they will just be an unhappy rich person. That's all you're going to be. I would actually argue that if you were the kind of person who was supposed, if, if you were incredibly generous, if you were the kind of person, I, I always hear people say, well, I, the reason I want a bunch of money is so that I can do good things and give it all away. If you were the kind of person that was going to give all your money away and do really good things, I think God would probably have given you a lot of money already. I think that you have exactly what you need now to become what God wants you to become. And so contentment is a really important thing. Because the false prophet preys upon your discontentment. When you desire vengeance, when you desire the destruction of somebody who you hate, when you laugh when they get fired, you are living from the flesh. 
and you are pretty easily at that point led astray from the teachings of Christ. If you're the kind of person who just always is desiring something else, that'll make me happy, that'll make me happy, you are in danger of being led astray by the false prophets. If, if you have constant fear of the repercussions of doing the right thing, you are a person who is possibly in danger of being led astray by the false teachers. That, that's, when Peter denied Christ, it was out of fear. He didn't really trust that Jesus could do what he said he could do, that he was who he said he was. All of the things he had seen already weren't enough to convince him. There was a part of him that he just was like, yeah, I hold on to Jesus, but when it really comes down to it, it's every man for himself. And so we're going to take communion. Wherever you are this morning, we all know ourselves. And and this is something that like, it, it sort of comes in waves. There are times when I'm just... I'm content. And me and my wife just say, let's just spend some time in prayer and thankfulness. Let's just be thankful at at where we are and the things God is doing in our life. And then there's other times where we just kind of tell each other, well, I mean, that would be great. I'd be a lot happier if that. I'd be a lot happier if that. I'd be a lot happier if, if that. And this happens. And in these moments, we kind of need to pray and we need to repent and we need to say, all right, I'm getting off track. Whatever God wants me to do and become he has given me the ability to do it now I am where I am because God wants me here so that I can learn what I need to learn so that I can change what I need to change repent where I need to repent and when someone rises up and they speak to your flesh and they tell you hey that thing you want God wants you to have that too I know this over here says this, but we can twist that and make it into say this, right? Can't we do that? Yeah, we can do that. We can literally make the Bible say anything we want it to say. If you have enough, uh, I guess, will to live by the flesh. There's always somebody trying to do that. But the best possible way to defend ourselves from the false teachings is to strive to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The Spirit inside of us that God has given us and he's whispering in your ear and he's saying hey this is the direction this is what we're doing then you'll thrive and so we take communion every single week it's a time where we kind of spend some time in repentance and we think about the ways that we have failed and we repent of them we think about the ways that we're not matching up that we're missing the mark sin is literally a word that means missing the mark the sin in our lives that we have we want to repent of we want to change the anger, the hatred, the, the, the people that we've not forgiven, the, the, maybe the subtle hints of, of racism and bigotry in your heart towards a, some certain people group somewhere who maybe have caused you or your family or your people harm. Um, we need to bring all that to the table. And we need to be honest and say, hey, there's some parts of me that are rooted in the flesh. I need them to change. And we're going to bring it to the table, the communion table, And we're going to take the bread, the body of Christ broken for us. We're going to dip it in in the wine, the, the blood of Christ spilled for us. And say, this is what the world needs. This is what we need. Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected for you. His body was poured out so that you can be reconciled to God. Your sins can be taken care of. You can, your spirit can connect to the spirit of God and be led in this new way of living, not by the flesh. And so we're going to take communion. Our communion servers, you guys can spread out around the room if you'd like. And, uh, Let's spend some time in prayer and communion, shall we? Father, we love you. Thank you for all the ways that you have 
molded us and, and shaped us. Lord, I do ask for contentment for all of us. That we would realize that you are doing something, you are working, and that our eyes would be open to what you are trying to do. There are all kinds of messages out there telling us that, that you want us to do this, and you want us to do this, and you want us to do this. And the fact is that those things are actually rooted in the flesh, and we don't want to be rooted in the flesh. We want to be rooted in the Spirit. The Spirit of God that is ushering the kingdom into this world, an entirely new way of existing, centered upon you. Help us to bring that to this community and to this city. We love you, God. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus.